0: totally at the world cup
1: i want to know i'm ready i want to know
2: unbelievable unbelievable this
0: Day 12, call it a var it's the night the World Cup lost something special. We ask, has VAR gone to VAR? And we look back on the performances. Portugal drawing with Iran unconvincingly. And speaking of Iran unconvincingly, Russia beaten by superfly Uruguay. But what happened to Spain? And what does it all mean for the quarterfinals? All the answers are on the way. Also, I look forward to Tuesday. Two more groups getting sorted. France are through in C, but Australia and Denmark could join them. in D. it's Messi's last stand. Can Argentina see off the challenge of Nigeria and Iceland to claim their last 16 spot? It's Totally Football Show at the World Cup. Well, it was a night of va va voom on Monday, and we got plenty of panache here on our panel with James Horncastle. Hello. Jack Lang. Hi. And Matt Davis. Hi, James. Hi. So much to discuss. Football and music suggests we do a two-hour Totally Show podcast. Otherwise they'll be very, very disappointed. Do you know there's enough stuff to talk about really, isn't there? Mm. We're gonna be reviewing the reviewing. And also a lot of pretty special football. How about that Charisma goal, eh, hey,
3: Matt? Wow. Wow. But it was a
0: night that saw Groups A and Group B sorted, and we now know how the quarterfinal uh, lineups are. Just remind me, Matt, how, who's playing who, what, why, where.
4: Uh, So Uruguay finished top of the group, so they will be playing Portugal in in what I'm sure will be an absolute thriller, and then it will be Spain (laughs) against Russia.
0: Spain against Russia. Wow, Okay, So in the afternoon game, Uruguay had kind of come good. A 3-0 victory over the hosts. Russia had really been impressing everyone. People just really surprised how well they were playing, scoring loads of goals against less fancied opposition. Then they came up against a proper side and all of a sudden came to a stop. Does that remind you of any other nation at all, James? <laughs> Potentially. Are you hinting at England? No, I'm not saying anything like that. But <laughs> Don't it was, dampen the mood in this it, country, Jimbo. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting how, how Russia was suddenly brought back down to earth.
2: Yeah, I think we did find out... Uh how good this Russia side really is, because it was just so easy for Uruguay. It was job done within half an hour. Um, They had a little bit of luck um, with that uh, second goal from Laxalt, which was deflected in. Um, But to be honest, they were their own worst enemy, uh, the hosts. I mean, what was
0: Ignashevich doing in the wall for that Suarez free kick? So this is the opening goal from Uruguay. Mm. And... Russia are doing a nice wall, defensive wall, in front of their goal to stop anything like a Suarez just having a straight shot at the bottom corner. And then what happens?
2: Well, Ignashevich decides to uh, clear out uh, Cavani and another Uruguayan player. Effectively Um,
0: just open up a massive breach in the wall.
2: Yeah, it was almost like, Suarez, I'll do you this favour. Backing his goalkeeper, who um, decided to jump... Um, just as Suarez was hitting the ball right. and was then unable to get down to it. Um, so a complete cock-up uh, right. from the Russians.
0: Although um, clever of Suarez to go for the low shot. Yes, smart,
2: although I think he was always intending to do that. Yeah. I don't think he was reacting to uh, a uh, leaping in the air. I right.
5: saying on Ignashevich that within the brief that he clearly felt he had of clearing those players out, he did it very, very well. Took yeah. two players completely five yards out of the equation. And, uh, you know, maybe a future in nightclub security film.
4: NFL, possibly. Mm-hmm. yeah, NHL. Any of these would be good. Yeah. OK. Incredible momentum shift from these two nations now. You look at it, you, you think how disappointed we were with Uruguay in the first two games. All of a sudden, for the first time ever, they've won all three group games at a World Cup.
0: And they, they haven't conceded Haven't conceded a
4: goal yet. No, you, so you talk about peaking at the right time and, you know, Russia went from looking at a, a what they would feel would be a winnable last-16 tie against Portugal to one where they'll be decidedly second favourites and, and and Uruguay cruising through almost unnoticed. Mm, absolutely.
0: So, uh, Uruguay taking on Portugal and Russia taking on Spain, although, of course, Morocco managed to hold Spain to a 2-2 draw, so who knows what the hosts might get up to. Let's move on then. That was the situation this afternoon. This evening, there were two matches going on as Group B resolved itself and Spain were taking on the already out of the tournament Morocco, while Iran and, and Portugal were, were dueling for the other spot. Simon B says, VAR finally ruining a game. AC Jimbo, you must be delighted. On the contrary, I really enjoyed it. It was. It was entertaining. It was, it was really entertaining.
2: entertaining. Yeah, I thought it, it actually brought some drama. You can completely understand. Um, Portugal feeling aggrieved because what it means is they are on the opposite side of the draw um, which is now it's a, a much more difficult route um, to the semi-finals and the final um, than what Spain have lucked out in really when you think that Spain fire their manager 36 hours before the tournament go behind twice um, to Portugal um, there were Unconvincing against Iran today, they made uh, a big mistake and, and went behind to Morocco twice. Um, so and, and they've somehow locked out, and they're they're going to be playing Russia in the in, in the round of
0: 16. So and, and then in the quarterfinals, probably either Croatia or Denmark, mm. and the semi-finals, Mexico, Belgium, Senegal or Switzerland. That's how it stands at the moment. The key thing is that Germany, France, and Brazil are all in the other half of the draw. So, okay, Spain had to come back twice, but there was so much going on between these two games. Probably we we should just take it step by step. So, first of all, Morocco take the lead against Spain.
4: Well, this came from a a really strange sort of mix-up between Iniesta and Sergio Ramos, very, very un-Spain-like. And um, at that time, it, it maintained David de Gea's Bizarre record of having not saved a shot at the tournament wow. so far. Um, but it was unusual to see Iniesta giving the ball away in the way that he did. But he quickly made up for it with a wonderful assist for, for Risco's for equalizer.
0: equaliser. But there was a time there where had Iran scored, I think, another goal? No, maybe if Morocco had scored another goal, that Spain were going out of the World Cup.
4: And there was real jitters about Spain. And from what I watched of, of the performance, particularly... Um, Fernando Hierro on the touchline, who always looks like he's he's nervous about something, was was particularly so. But they, they couldn't get the rhythm into the game that we'd normally associate with them, and it felt like it was more a case of uh, of nerves from the Spain players than it was anything in particular that the Morocco players were doing to to put them off their stride. Obviously, they were helped by the fact that it was um, it was a free hit for Morocco, playing with the pressure off. Yeah, 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 and and then then they got themselves some goals for the first time in the tournament, and. It would have been disappointing for a team who, who have definitely added something to the World Cup had they gone out with no points and no goals. So so pleasing for them to get something in the Ab- final game.
0: Absolutely. Meanwhile, in, in the portugal Iran game, where they're effectively they're having a duel for the other spot alongside Spain, Portugal take the lead through Quaresma with a trademark Trivella strike. Tell us about the Trivella.
5: Yeah, that was Quaresma through and through, drifting in off that flank, hitting it. In Brazil, you would call that Contrige de others with three toes mm. just describing the outside of the foot it's a technique that you can perhaps imagine yourself doing were the ball coming towards you and had a bit of pace on it already you can you know cut across it perhaps but the way he does it with the ball already in his stride basically following the line that he plans to strike in is an outrageous skill we've seen it before he's done it in the champions league you know with You can go online, see him doing it for Porto,
0: for Besiktas. It's something he's always done. Because when he was a young man, he kind of announced, this is, I am charisma. this is my goal. And he, which kind of set himself up for a career that will always be judged on whether he managed to do the, the Traveller or not. <laughs>
2: well, and look, I mean, he's come up big for his country. If you go back two years ago to the uh-huh. European Championships, he scored uh, the decisive goal against Croatia. He scored, the, the, I think, the last penalty, was it, against Poland as well? And this was his, his first ever World Cup goal. And as you were alluding to there, Jimbo, he's been on the scene for ages. You know, he's bounced around... Several top clubs, you know, he's been at Barcelona, he's been at Inter, he's been at Chelsea. And uh, God, I've forgotten he was at Chelsea, yeah, on that on loan from Inter. He was, um, famously Josh Mourinho's first signing there, and they spent a fortune on him, and he flopped terribly. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think his best football's probably been played at what, Porto and Besiktas more recently, mm. um, but yeah. I mean it's I think it's always great for a player to be defined by a, a, an original skill
4: mm. which which he is that is his legacy on the game and he's added more to it with this being his first ever world cup start his first shot on target in the world cup <laughs> wow. as his trademark move that's exactly the way that he would have scripted it. He I'm did sure. have a go
0: the other night, didn't he? I can't mm. remember which game it was, but he, he did have a, he got a, a, a his range for, in.
4: A, and a thought for Radamel Falcao who last night thought he'd scored the best outside of the boot goal in this World Cup, mm. and 24 hours later he's, uh, he's shaking his head. So, as it stood then, Spain had
0: gone back, they'd equalised with that Isco uh, finishing off a very nice little move, um, and Portugal were winning. And then everything seemed to happen Portugal get a penalty, and Ronaldo
4: misses it only after a VAR review for what seemed quite a marginal call. I wonder if, he, obviously, VAR is going to get the headlines from this match. I wonder if the blame is actually more with Enrique Caceres, the referee, who was particularly indecisive, it seemed, and, and prone to having his mind changed by the, uh, by the big screen that he wandered over to look at repeatedly. Well,
0: particularly then when the big Ronaldo red card appeal came up, Mr Paul Robinson saying, there's literally no point in having VAR if you don't use it to send off Cristiano Ronaldo.
5: Yeah I think he completely bottled it. Ronaldo might argue that he was trying to find you know lever the man out of the way but the ball was 20 or 30 yards away. He swings an elbow at a man's face. Yeah and I think the referee just I don't know whether kind of personality or celebrity came into it but he just didn't fancy it. Ronaldo was incredulous you know protesting his innocence but at that point of the game uh, things were just getting really frazzled. You had Carlos Queiroz kind of going in and out of his penalty area. Portuguese players complaining to the referee that Carlos Queiroz was in and out of his penalty area. You know, less team melee, more team melee.
0: (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Portugal kind of got away with one there, but boy, did VAR come back to bite them uh, with that penalty awarded against them in the dying minutes.
5: Yeah, I mean, at this point, You spoke earlier about, you know, the the incidents in both games happening. We had two screens up. Each of the screens was showing VAR, so we had six different camera angles. It was like some hellish future. For me, my
0: personal... not the future. It's right now, Jack. My personal... It's a dystopian present.
5: My personal scary spot is being forced to talk about VAR forever.
0: I know exactly what you're saying, but it, it was, while perversely dramatic, it was a world away from what I think we would want to be doing at that point of the game.
5: Yeah, it was... I think especially, I, you know, I was mainly watching the Portugal game and the fact that the VAR came at the end of a game with so little actual football. We had the brilliance of charisma, but, but otherwise the teams didn't seem that interested in doing much. They were kind of niggly. They were uh, arguing all the time, complaining all the time. And then to have the incident at the end was such an unsatisfying way for a football match to conclude. I think, you know, in my view, it's a very harsh handball. Right. Very. So this was a
0: handball effectively... Given against Portugal for a player knocking the ball down directly onto the the opponent who's yeah, underneath him as he jumps.
5: Cedric Suarez, who I think was probably in midair when the ball brushed his hand, it's recalled the use of Paulson one for Denmark. Uh, I don't think Cedric got booked this, whereas Paulson did, which was doubly strange
0: but mm. Paulson will actually miss the, the final group game tomorrow because of that. Exactly. I think I don't know,
5: something intuitively I think you want to, you wanna say that when a penalty is given there is blame attributable. And I just don't think Cedric did anything here that he could have avoided. He was in midair, He'd use his arms to jump. And, yeah, I think it was very tough on Portugal.
0: Right. Well, very well taken penalty, though, for Iran. And they very nearly won it at the death, James.
2: Yeah, they went route one. They almost played like a big Hail Mary up to the front men. And uh, it was Turemi who had a, a huge chance to win it and just doesn't quite make it inside the near post. It hits the side netting as well. And that was the chance gone. Um, but uh, I found that game very entertaining. I know I know that there wasn't a lot of football in it aside from the tribula, Um but there was a lot of fisticuffs and just yeah. There was always you always felt there was a sense of jeopardy that um, a player might get sent off, or there was these, all these running battles going on between different players. I kind of I I often find that as entertaining as a technically good football match.
0: Right. Well, of course, there was so much riding on the result. Mm. Yeah. Very much so. Meanwhile, what what happened to Spain? So
4: in the end, it was 2-2. In the end, it was 2-2. And yeah, to stick up for our friend VAR, and we we need to come to a universal agreement as to whether we're going to call it VAR or VAR. I think that's one of the big problems. Um, Iago Aspas' equaliser was originally ruled offside by the referee uh, until a VAR review, which showed that he was onside. And it was a lovely flick from him um, to equalise in stoppage time for Spain. But... Really, the least they should have got out of a game that they had 75% possession in and, and 18 shots at goal to Morocco's 6. So, Diego Costa obviously didn't score in the game. So, Fernando Hierra will be, be worried about the profligacy of his side in this match in particular. And in particular, when, when they look flaky in defence and with what we believe to be the world's best goalkeeper, who's not exactly showing that at this tournament yeah. so far.
0: Yeah. All right. Varum Brawl. Very good, far and broad. So, uh, okay, just to reiterate, because I'm really struggling with this, Portugal are going to be taking on Uruguay, and Russia play Spain. Now, most people there f- will think that Spain will probably have the better of the Russians. Would you say? Oh, absolutely,
4: yes. Yeah, that uh, that result for Russia today is a, a real pinprick to their bubble. I think you know they, they they were going so well in the tournament, but now we look back on when it you say and pin say,
0: "Pinprick? Are you? Are you would, No, we'll move on. Okay, sorry." <laughs> Just a note
2: on that
4: Russia yep. game, we
2: saw Cheryshev score an own goal. Um, he'd scored, what, three up until now. Um, this one in the wrong end. But we've now had a record number of own goals in the World Cup. We've had six, which is as many as there were in the entirety of
0: 1998. All right. we've had so, more set-piece goals exactly. as well,
5: actually. Yeah. Suarez, uh-huh. his early goal made him the seventh player to score twice or more in three separate World Cups. Hmm. There are six others. Before the end of the show, you can have a guess. Okay, just say the question again, Jack. So, seven six, players, seven including players. Suarez, yep. have scored two or more goals right. at three or more World Cups. Okay.
0: Cristiano Ronaldo?
2: Nope. Is he not? No, he scored three, didn't he? He's Only scored. three going yeah. into that ah, first yeah, game okay. against. Uh,
0: All right, so the six other players? Robbie Baggio. Correct. Gerd Muller? Nope. Closer? Closer. So we've got two, we've got another four to find. Oh, Jack's just covered up his
3: notes. (laughs) Damn. Damn. All
0: right. Well, you know what, we'll have a pause and then we'll come back and discuss uh, Uruguay-Russia a bit more before we move on. You're
6: listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
4: Matt, you feel bad about Saudi Arabia, who went and won a game. We haven't mentioned it at all. Yeah, uh, good on them. I mean, more from the point of view I'd look at it, that it, when this group was announced, would we have thought that Egypt would have lost all of their games. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the disappointing teams at this World Cup. Obviously, this, the Salah injury has been been the main effect for him and, and some word that, that he's had a disagreement with the, uh, the Egyptian Federation. But a, a real damp squib for them. Co- coming into this, they would have really fancied their chances of, if not topping the group, making it through to the last 16. But it's it's just not happened for them at all. And, and yeah, one of the biggest disappointments of, of the tournament for me. Certainly the, the weakest-looking African team, which is not what we would have thought. Great goal from Mo Salah to, to, to get Egypt on the score sheet and then two
0: from Saudi Arabia, one of which came right at the death. And that is, I think, with this evening's games, 19 goals scored after 88 minutes.
4: Thrilling stuff.
0: Yeah. It's, we, a, it's, it's been the World Cup of late goals,
4: we which all, is good. Uh, Egypt-wise, we ought to give a mention to uh, SML Hadri, the 45-year-old goalkeeper who became right. the oldest um, player to feature at the, at the tournament and saved the penalty. He did, didn't mm, he? From uh, Fahad Al-Muolad, so good on him.
0: All right. Well, so those two teams return home. Morocco also return home. Spain will have Russia and Uruguay take on Portugal what what do you think because we, we it, touching on the fact that Uruguay began to kind of coalesce today a different lineup a different kind of spirit to them jack would you say
5: yeah i, I said before after their their first couple of games that i thought they would improve in accordance with the opposition they were playing and i think we saw that quite clearly today there was a reshuffle that it wasn't even their strongest lineup but uh, he rested Jose Media Jimenez uh, So we had Sebastian Cuates at the back and Martin Caceres moving to the other side. But on the left, the person whose long shot forced the own goal, Diego Laxalt, I thought offered them a lot more balance because actually having a left-footed play at left back, you know, Caceres was playing there and not only is he right-footed, but he's right-footed and very slow. So every time they worked the ball to that side in the first two games, it was just becoming uh, increasingly clear that there was no way through there. Laxalt offered something completely different. The midfield three was good and Lucas Torreira, Obviously, Arsenal fans, I'm sure, very excited to get a glimpse of him. I thought he was really
0: good. Mm. Betancourt impressed again.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, th- th- I think uh, it's the perfect way for them to go into the into the round of 16 with their with their best performance of the tournament so far. Some new ideas, and uh, I think people had been calling actually for Lax out to to get into this team because second half of the season at Genoa, he not only performed very well but caught at the eye of a lot of Premier League clubs because of his co- contract situation there. Slightly suspect hair. I think one of the worst haircuts in the tournament with his um, sort of what, sort of cornrows. Yeah.
0: yeah, I don't know if he has a nickname, but the seasoner would be good. Why the seasoner? Oh, La salt. Lack salt. Oh, lack salt. Right. Which is actually what you. Which is a kind of um, quite a mild insult in, in Portuguese, isn't it? When you say someone's boring, you just say they're Saint that yeah. they lack salt. Which I think is a, it's a great
4: yeah. great idiom, that. I think the game between uh, no. Portugal and Euro might <laughs> lack salt as well. I think I there's think a good chance that'll be our 1st and 0-0. The, there'll but be, I think um, it could be quite a salty affair at the same yeah, time. I was going to say, a red card is, is, is probably um, a distinct possibility. It could be as well. an assault
0: or two. <laughs> yeah. All right, there'll certainly be some pepe, you know, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, wow. Uh, Uruguay, do you think, to take that? Or do Portugal have reserves that we haven't glimpsed yet?
4: I think it depends who's best at penalties when it gets to the shootout. Yeah, yeah.
0: They're lucky to have Cristiano Ronaldo at
4: the end of the day. And I think uh,
2: as long as he's there... I mean, Portugal, the reason they won Euro 2016 is they kept going to the bench and had players who could find them Find them goals, or and ultimately wins. We saw that with with Kresma, as I've already mentioned they had Renato Sanchez back then he'd break games open. Edair, remember, who's not obviously not in the squad, but this this is a team that has difference makers. Fernando Santos has jokers up his sleeve, so I wouldn't rule Portugal out. Absolutely not. Okay, but,
5: Jack. I think it would be very close, and I imagine Uruguay might just grind something out. Okay, very grittily. And Spain to do Russia. Yes,
0: Spain to do Russia. Okay. Super. All right. In a second or two, we'll talk about Tuesday. Sun, sea, sand and football. Watching the World Cup on holiday
6: sounds like paradise until you try watching a game online and realise seconds before kickoff that it's blocked. Well, instead of bemoaning your decision to book a trip during a tournament that comes around once every four years, you need to get yourself a virtual private network from bestvpn.com and you'll be able to access the internet freely wherever you are this summer, all for less than the price of a pint. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get 70% off a VPN by visiting bestvpn.com slash podcast. Bestvpn.com will set you up with a VPN in minutes so you can watch the football from your deck chair or by the pool. And when it comes to security, bestvpn.com will also protect your internet activity from prying eyes on open Wi-Fi networks. No matter where you are in the world, you can access your online home comforts with a VPN. So unlock the internet today with bestvpn.com. Find out more and get 70% off by heading to bestvpn.com slash podcast.
0: Quick news flash. Apparently, FIFA have decided not to suspend Grant Shaka and Jadon Shakiri for plenty of
4: games, but they're going to give them a fat fine instead, which I think is probably good news. Almost said well done, FIFA, but it was like my brain couldn't process the words to get them out of my mouth. All right. Um,
0: right. Let's talk about Group C and D, which will be resolved on Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, Australia take on the already out of the World Cup, Peru, at the Fish Stadium down in Sochi, while at the Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow, Denmark take on France, top two teams in that group. In the evening, Group D, Croatia already through. The other three teams all have a chance of joining them in the last 16. Nigeria take on Argentina in a fascinating clash in St. Petersburg, while Croatia themselves will be up against Iceland in Rostov. Wow. Wow. I mean, the game that I think we've been counting down to for quite a while now is that game between Nigeria and Argentina. Argentina, who were thrown a lifeline by Nigeria and their victory over Iceland, which kept Argentina's hopes alive. They must now beat Nigeria and hope that Iceland don't beat Croatia. So it's not looking that easy, particularly given all the build-up that there's been. Talk of a mutiny, talk of... Two players, Pavon and Mascherano, come into blows. Mascherano sporting a black eye afterwards. All sorts of controversy. Jack, take us inside that Argentina dressing room. What can you tell us?
5: Well, yeah, Pavon and Mascherano were the two that allegedly had to be pulled apart. We've had...
0: They went at pineapples, is that right?
5: Well, apparently that's the phrase in Spanish. Okay, I'm not familiar with it, but I like it. Uh-huh. Uh I guess that might represent, you know... a Chasm between the generations, you might argue, with Mascherano kind of representing the old guard. And perhaps, you know, you could understand if people like Pavon were feeling that they could have got a bit more opportunities this World Cup. It, it's looking like for the final game, Jorge Sampaoli is going to stick with some of the so older players. Is he still in charge? Well, I think so, just about. Mascherano, okay. who obviously would say this, but in his press conference said that, look, all the top coaches have a relationship with their players uh, that involves some kind of approval. So no manager is going to tell the players to do something they don't want. So there's kind of a, a checks and balances system he was almost hinting at. Whether that's gone beyond the bounds of a uh, normal relationship between player and managers, I'm not sure. I would suggest that, uh, you know, there's certainly going to have been recriminations. Apparently there were strong words exchanged among all the players. But then again, you look at the, you know, just a small gesture like uh, training this week. There was a little kiss on the cheek for for Sampaioli from Messi. Uh, And, you know, you do wonder whether completely cutting ties with him, given that he hasn't been sacked. You know, there was a small possibility that he could have been axed for this game, given the background music. But the fact that he's still there, you wonder what the players would have to gain from completely... Uh, mutinying. So is this
0: if you're Argentina is this the worst possible build up or the best? You know well, everyone's fired up, bit of a fight in the dressing room, pride yeah, on the line. I'm sure you could make an argument for, you know,
5: getting things out in the open being beneficial, but I just I think so much has already gone on this World Cup and you know, still not talking about rescue acts, Messi's already done it once to get them there against Ecuador. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that they could pull something out of the bag. But you look at their lineup again, and it just looks fairly uninspiring. It's kind of looks, again, clogged in the midfield. You've got three central midfielders. You've got Di Maria apparently coming back in, and uh, Higuain at the sharp end, to maybe give a little bit more variation. Higuain but, in for Aguero. Yeah, it, to me, it doesn't look like... Uh, you know, a lineup that's going to go far. It, it, it may be enough against Nigeria, who knows, because Nigeria, I think, are quite inconsistent, but it doesn't look to me, you know, it doesn't look like a redemption.
2: At least Caballero won't be in goal. Right. Franco, so he, Franco Armani coming in. For
0: his first ever Argentina mm, game, I
2: think. Mm. sorry. all right. His first ever start.
5: He almost it's declared been... for Colombia. He, Is was, that he right? was playing in Colombia for for a while, and it looked like the Argentina call would never come. And I think he was on the brink of declaring when, you know, he, Sampoli intimated to him that there might be a place to him a few months ago but um, yeah
0: will they look a better outfit with Armani I know Armani's suddenly back in fashion <laughs> <laughs> all right there might be a turn up or two with him <laughs> yeah anyway so um it's been billed in Argentina and I think pretty much round the world as Messi's last stand as you say it was his hat trick against Ecuador which got them here he's had 12 shots in this World Cup so far has yet to score I know it's not all about him but if Nigeria just kind of sit back and have a big defensive block, which they're entitled to do because they're going through, if the if the game is drawn, it's him that they're going to look to to thread something through.
4: Mm, it kind of is all about him in a way because Sam Pauli be his 14th game in charge of Argentina, and he's never named the same starting eleven. So Messi is the almost the one constant within that team, and you know we've spoken on previous shows about how everything tends to be funneled through him. I, I just feel like this would be. A game to, to maybe try Iguane and Aguero together because the Nigeria defence seems pretty unconvincing to me. Yeah, it's hard to get a read on Nigeria because their two performances have been so contrasting. But you'd think you probably wouldn't need as a, you know a rigid midfield to try and stop them breaking through you. And, and maybe there'd be a bit of benefit in in going with those two strikers who, who, let's be honest, are two of the top strikers in European football for the last five years. So why not let them? You know, if you're going to go out go out in a blaze of glory, sort of thing.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's get a bit of an idea now about how Nigeria are setting up for this must-win game. Producer Ben spoke to Janine Anthony from BBC Sport Africa to find out.
1: It's not really impossible to second-guess Genot Ra. After the first game against Iceland, he got lots of backlash, Um, not just on the formation, but, of course, the team not having a bit of a, a fighting spirit, the way they and manner they lost that game. He knows that Argentina... They do have a good midfield, but it vanishes at some point, which almost feels like everyone is attacking. And if he has the strength of the players of, in the mold of Etebo and Ndidi, who can really break play, you'd figure that he will go with his same 3 5 2 formation, where he's able to get the width of Musa and, of course, Moses. But we are not quite sure if Ibuwa will make the starting lineup or he will come in as an impact sub. So it's all to play for.
6: Janine, you've got so much previous with Argentina at World Cups. Um, what's it going to mean for Nigeria to get through to the last 16?
1: It will mean a lot. There's lots going on in Nigeria where football feels like it's what is unifying the country. So the round of 16 doesn't just mean we get bigger bragging rights against Ghana, who are Nigeria's eternal West African rivals. But it will mean so much. Into, I mean, Ahmed Musa is Muslim. He's from the northern part of Nigeria. There's been lots of tension in different parts of Nigeria in the last couple of months. And the election year is next year. So what that win against Argentina will signify is that there is nothing the country cannot surmount economically, politically, religiously. So it's such a symbolic game. And for the fact that, you know, it's funny because Nigeria came into this World Cup thinking they were going to go straight to the quarterfinal, which was interesting because the team had built that hope and trust until that game against Croatia so it feels lots have been happening behind the scenes and all of that but that win against Argentina will be very symbolic for the nation that is it's not cracking but you know the country needs that kind of boost needs that kind of lift and football gives it that and most importantly what better way than to crash and ruin Lionel Messi's birthday week it's going to be epic
0: Janine Anthony from BBC Sport Africa and Ladies March. Now there's been a series of meetings between Argentina and Nigeria in the World Cup, and Argentina won all of them by one goal. But the two teams met last November in Russia when this happened.
6: Ataka, Nigeria, the
0: The noise there of Nigeria coming back from two goals down to win 4-2 against Argentina. Admittedly, an Argentina side that did not feature Leo Messi, but still... Not the kind of precedent you want if you're Argentina as you go into this clash now. It was still a, a decent
5: side. Still had you know Di Maria, Otamendi, Mascherano, Benega, Aguero. It wasn't, as some people would have you believe, a complete reserve side. And yeah, Nigeria roared back into it, inspired by Alex be interesting to see if he gets uh, a role here, having remained on the bench in Nigeria's last game. But I think that will be inspiring for them, hopefully.
0: Matt, do you fancy Nigeria's chances... I sort of do, yeah, to be
4: honest, because I think there's... Professionally, you have to, though, don't you? Yeah, I do professionally, yeah. Because (laughs) you are all
0: over Nigerian TV.
4: Yeah, yeah, but I think there's an element of chaos around this game which will work in Nigeria's favour. There's there's not so much pressure on them, obviously, as there is on Argentina. Last time Argentina failed to win a, a game at a World Cup, 1934. So that's the kind of... Pressure that they are that they are under in this game, and you know, Sam Pauli, is his reputation not irreversibly damaged. But you think about how high his stock was before he came into this tournament. It, it's not just the Argentina players who are under this kind of pressure. Whereas Nigeria, when they, when the group was drawn, they probably thought we're third favourites in this group. And they go into the final game with a fighting chance. And as we heard earlier, the pace of Ahmed Musa against that Argentina defence. I mean, mm. it's not the Ahmed Musa that we've seen in the Premier League for Leicester. He looks a different player for the Super Eagles. So I think there's a real opportunity for Nigeria here, particularly if they score first.
0: calling this for Nigeria, yeah.
5: Joe? I have similar feelings, actually. I think that Argentina's... Last gasp of attempts to, to rescue something here are more likely to to come to naught than to function. So I would imagine there will be plenty of spaces as Argentina look to attack, and I can imagine Nigeria exploiting them.
0: Crazy. Of course, even if Argentina win, they might not qualify, because if Iceland get a better result in their clash with the already qualified Croatia than Argentina get with Nigeria, it'll be Iceland who go through with the Croatians.
2: Yeah, and uh, Zlatko Dalic, mm. the, the Croatia manager, I think hinting that he might give Luka Modric um, a rest. Oh, really? Uh, in this game. But aside from that, I think he was going to play the likes of um, Jedvaj or Luka Badel, Piazza, Kramovic, uh, maybe coming into the fold. Um, so he's one of those managers who clearly believes um, in, uh, in a bit of recuperation right. going into the round of 16.
6: Listeners, there are 32 teams and 736 players at the World Cup, but there are a million stories beyond the pitch in Russia. The excellent Game of Our Lives podcast is back for its second season and host David Goldblatt will bring you fiery discussion of the cultural, political and sociological issues that make football the world's greatest sport. Along with his co-host, David we will be discussing things like Iceland's incredible rise and Panama's amazing journey to their first tournament, as well as taking deep dives into historical matches that still have resonance for today's game. Search for Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now.
0: Well, let's talk about the French group then, which will be taking place in the afternoon. Group C, France are on six points, Denmark in second place on four. Australia still in with a shout. They have only got one point, but if they beat Peru, who are already out in last place on nil point, and the Danes lose their game, and there's a two goal swing in Australia's favor then Australia will be in the last 16 with that in mind producer Ben dial up our chum David Bashir from Australian broadcaster SBS to assess the soccer's tournament so far and their prospects
7: it was one of those performances against France that left you frustrated because i think for large parts of the match we quelled all their attacking strengths and and showed good defensive structure In transition going forward, we weren't that impressive. And I think in the last 10 minutes, obviously, there was a questionable penalty uh, by some and a deflected goal that was the difference. But we just lost our shape and perhaps our belief in the last 10 minutes, the Socceroos. Against Denmark, it was a little bit different. I think there was more attacking intent and more purpose in that respect. But uh, I think overall, uh, a point from the two matches is perhaps a little unfortunate
6: only a win is going to do in this game against Peru David um how are you going to set up for this game
7: well it's an interesting one because Andrew Naboot who was an unheralded striker before the World Cup uh, has started both matches for Bert van Marwijk and he's injured he's got he's popped his shoulder dislocated shoulder so they'll have to find another solution Tim Cale, I think even the most fanciful Socceroos fan wouldn't expect him to start given the magnitude of the game and and you know what's in his legs at the moment but so I think they, they'll they start with a, a taller centre forward in Tom Urich. Uh They may rest one of the, the midfielders like Tom Rogic. The back four will remain the same. Matt Ryan, who's had a brilliant season with you know Brighton, Hove Albion, and, and the Socceroos, he's been outstanding at this World Cup. He's, he's had more uh, touches than any other goalkeeper. And I think that's partly because of the style of the Socceroos play. But look, I, I think they'll set up that way. They'll have a target man and... They won't boss possession against Peru, but they will just try to stay very, very tight and compact in the in the you know the first 20 minutes and just see what happens from there.
2: Unbelievable, unbelievable this. Yes,
7: yes, yes. Wow, Matt
0: Ryan with more touches than anyone. Anyone else? They, they need a bit of a change of approach here, Jack.
5: Yes, I actually see this as being an opportunity for peru they've they've spoken in the press conference paulo guerrero said they're going to go out there with a knife between their teeth oh. uh, looking for revenge they're all fully focused there will be no resting there will be no uh, taking this easy even though they're already out so i can see this being a, a party on the decks of the titanic if you will and right. i think they're going to go for it they've had if 27... we're doing film
0: references surely that's not a knife this is a knife <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, well, they've shown
5: a slight lack of cutting edge so far with 27 shots and no goals. But I think Australia uh, can be got at. And if you look at Australia's two goals, they've been two free handballs. balls. I can see Peru winning this. Okay. Maddie Ryan
0: has paid for 27 family members. Uh, not sure which family, but anyway, to to watch him <laughs> at a cost of over one hundred thousand pounds. A lot of Australia fans are excited by the notion that Tim Cahill could come into the starting lineup. Others, perhaps of a different generation, would like to see Daniel Ozani, who did make a cameo appearance in their last game against Denmark and kind of impressed, to get a proper run out here. Australia, yay, nay, can they do it?
4: Uh, they might be able to. I'm a bit concerned for Mile Jedinak if um, Paolo Guerrero is coming out with a knife between his teeth. Oh. Uh, Guerrero has, has promised to thank Jedinak by giving, a, giving him a big hug before <laughs> kick-off.
0: Oh, because he signed the yeah, petition to yeah. allow Guerrero to get that ban rescinded. Absolutely. For the Coca tea. All right, well, we'll finish off then by talking about the other game. Denmark taking on France at the Luzhniki Stadium. Now, Denmark just need a point... To join France in the last 16, even a defeat could be enough, depending on what Australia do in their clash with Peru. For France, I mean, they're pretty much sorted here, aren't they? What are they going to be doing? Trying to just make things click a bit better than before?
2: I think France are going to rotate um, in this game. I think they're going to give uh, a chance to Ousmane Dembele, who didn't really impress um, against Australia in the in the opening game. And also to uh, Thomas Lemar, um, who, because they played 4-3-3, it's not really the system for him. Um, I think he'll be, be playing in a 4-2-3-1, which to much more suitable to his, uh, suited to his characteristics. I think there's going to be quite a few changes. The, the were talking about as many as six, um, with even uh, um, Sidibe, the, um, the right-back, coming back into the fold. Remember, Benjamin Pavard has been playing out of position, hasn't looked comfortable there. So I think they've really been looking to Sidibe to kind of um, get fit again after this kind of quite problematic knee injury, which has blighted his season.
0: Which game are you most looking forward to tomorrow, Jack? The Argentina one. Nigeria or Argentina. It's a no yeah. yeah. It's box right. office. It is, isn't it? Mm. Well, we'll be crowding onto the sofa then for that and then straight afterwards uh, bringing you another totally football show. But before we complete today's uh, World Cup recap, let's get a quick word on the odds for Tuesday's fixtures. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power.
6: Thanks, Jim. Lee Price from Paddy Power. You're back. Uh, let's talk about Tuesday's games. Denmark versus France kicks things off in Group C. I think Denmark could
3: do this. Yeah, this is fascinating, isn't it? Denmark obviously need a result here. way well, maybe they have given Australia lurking behind them. They're ten to three to win the fixture. Uh, it's seven to five for the draw. France have been deeply unconvinced, and they're thirteen to ten to win the match, which is quite telling actually. Usually, there'd be odds on, but they've been so out of sorts that I just wouldn't want to bet on them to be honest.
6: Uh, what about Australia versus Peru? We've had some criticism for not giving uh, Australia nearly, nearly as much attention as we should. Uh, can Peru go out with a bang here?
3: Yeah, Peru's fans have been sensational from what I can understand from everyone in Russia. Uh, Their players less so, sadly. Uh, Guerrero promised to be the story of the tournament, but it turned out not to be. He's 13-8 to score any time uh, and give those fans something to celebrate. They're 7-5 to to win this fixture and despite your complainants, Australia haven't been that good. It's been Yedinak uh, scoring for them each match. He's 4-1 to to get in the score sheet here. They're 17-10 to get the win. 12-5 to for the draw takes my fancy though.
6: Over in Group D, both games kicking off at seven o'clock. Uh, both very, very interesting. Iceland versus Croatia, Argentina versus Nigeria. Croatia um, have topped the group, but it's uh, everything to play for for Iceland, Argentina, and the Nigerians. Could
3: Iceland do the unthinkable here and uh, upset Croatia? Yeah, they could. This this double header is going to be chaos. I'm going to be sat there with my calculator trying to work out who's going through at any given moment. Iceland are 15-8 to 8 to beat Croatia, which is very tight odds given the supposed gap between them in the group. Croatia 13-10 to, to win, 11-5 to 5 to draw. These four teams are all very evenly matched and either match go either way. Uh, toss for a coin, I think.
6: OK, Liam, what about Argentina versus Nigeria? Nigeria came alive in that second half versus Iceland. Argentina, they look like the walking dead, but something tells me that they're going to manage to get through this.
3: Yeah, they've they've had a scare, haven't they? And they need to come alive, like you say. Our trade is still massively fancy and they're four to nine to beat Nigeria. They're eight to eleven to qualify from this group, despite stuttering in both their first fixtures and attracting criticism absolutely everywhere. They've been dire. Messi has been absent, but you just know that he is going to turn up uh, and spoil the Ronaldo show. Nigeria, if you fancy them, uh, they're four to one, but they're so inconsistent it's hard to believe that you can bet on them. It's sixteen to five for the draw, which would help absolutely no one.
0: You can find out those odds and more at PaddyPower.com. It's eighteen plus only. BeGambleAware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Now, Jack. So your question was: seven players, including um, Luis Suarez, including Luis Suarez, this evening, have managed to score multiple goals at three different World Cups. Correct. So far, we managed to name Miroslav Klose. Yeah, who did it at four different World Cups, impressively. Wow. And Roberto Baggio. Robbie Baggio. And who else? Did we get any others? No, there are Hello? four more. Not Pele. Diego. Not Diego. What about Wayne Rooney? Am I right? No, you're not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what about... Oh, I don't know. Okay. Michael Owen? Clue.
5: Three of them are German. Oh. Muller. Klinsmann. Klinsmann is one. Right. Muller isn't.
0: Hmm. Huh. Any of the Mullers? No Mullers. Okay.
5: Voller? Voller is another. Oh, yeah, good shot.
0: Beerhoff? Is there a, a Dutchman in there, like a Van Basten or a Holit or? Remaining
5: anything? is one Brazilian and one German. Okay,
0: Romario?
2: The original Ronaldo.
5: Ronaldo? Oh, did he? Okay, yeah, cool. And one German who did it in four World Cups. It's
4: not Gerd Muller. It's not Gerd Muller.
5: Um, I think this was the answer to one of our previous slightly trivial bits of trivia. Uwe Seeler.
0: Oh. oh I mean I say oh I but like, you, know, you could have that said that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Elephant. Like, oh yeah, Brian Elephant. <laughs> he only did it in two, unfortunately. Yeah. All right then. Super. Well if you enjoyed that kind of thing, be aware that we've got quizzes and competitions and videos and all sorts of stuff at our Facebook page. And you can also find us on Twitter at The Totally Show. So do send us your questions and comments and that kind of thing. And we'll have another show for you uh, after the final whistle on Tuesday. For now, many thanks to Jack, Matt, and James. And above all, you listener, we'll see you tomorrow. You've been
6: listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then and Boot Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.